In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you heard my screaming voice recently, it was not yesterday, as all of my teams lost in embarrassing fashion. Um, In fact, if you scream at the television, uh, take it from me, maybe pray more and drink less coffee. That's a suggestion. Um, When you wake up the next morning, the losses really don't matter, especially when we're in church. No, if you've heard my screaming voice lately, it was outside on the soccer field. Um, because it's soccer season, and as the coach of the boys' soccer team for the middle school, there are occasions when I have to raise my voice, believe it or not. And yet I hope it's done in such a way that I don't actually uh, commit an infraction and then have to apologize for something myself. When we correct... um, Sometimes it's abrupt. Um, Sometimes it's unwelcome. But our Lord is prodding us today, as is the prophet Ezekiel, that we must. There is no way out. If you do not speak to dissuade the wicked from his way, the wicked shall die for his guilt... But I will hold you responsible for his death. If you warn the wicked trying to turn him, obviously him or her, this is inclusive, away from her way, and she refuses to turn from her way, she shall die for her guilt. But you shall save yourself, because he tried, even if it was unsuccessful. The words of the letter of St. James echo the exact same uh, message in the New Testament. If anyone among you should stray from the truth and someone bring him back... He should know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We already hear from the Old Testament lingering in our ears about the rod. Do not spare the rod. The rod and reproof give wisdom. The child left to himself brings shame to his mother, the book of Proverbs. But somehow we've picked up along the way the idea that that's not the case anymore. We hear earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 7, Judge not, that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. But it continues. The Christian message isn't refrain from drawing conclusions about the morality of people's behavior. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Because that teaching of our Lord in the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel continues about how to prepare to be able to judge well, patiently, wisely. Because our Lord says, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, you take the plank out of your own first. And and then you can judge well and help your brother take the speck out of his eye. Today our Lord continues and The same gospel, uh, the gospel of St. Matthew, but further on in chapter 18, with even more specifics about how to follow through on that, how to do that correction. First, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you've won him over. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, 
so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, then bring the, the transgressor to the church. And if the person even refuses to listen to the church, then treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Which is not to say with disdain or hatred or contempt, but with no confusion about whether or not this person actually is part of the community, is actually living our life and has something in common with us besides the obligation uh, that comes with baptism to live a life of virtue and prayer. Our Lord not only speaks about correction, but he also gives correction. The examples are startling. You've heard them before, probably. You heard them last week. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Not, not very pleasant, kind, nice words. You are, you are thinking as men do. Not as God does. Actually, it does seem that the Gospel of Matthew has the, uh, the monopoly on fraternal correction. It's in chapter 15 that he goes after the hypocrite Pharisees. When someone immediately afterwards questioned the disciples and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended? Um, Jesus made it pretty clear that, yeah, he knew that they were going to be offended. And it's almost half of chapter 23. That's a, that's a litany of, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, blind guides, fools, so on and so forth. I won't read to you all of it, but you should look it up. And so how do we balance this? We know that the Christian gospel teaches us to judge gently. And wisely and patiently, St. Paul does in his letters to the Galatians and the Colossians and the Thessalonians. If a man is overtaken in any sin, you who are spiritual should recall him in a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6.1 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That's Colossians 3.16 We exhort you, brethren... Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 When as a young soccer player, in high school especially, of which I was reminded when I saw some of these jokers playing soccer, the heights against O'Connell the other day, my greatest fear as someone who had usually come off the bench into a game eager to always become a better soccer player, was that there would be a practice or there would be a game when the coach didn't bark at me. Because to me, that would be the sign that he'd given up. I couldn't get any better. What's the use of trying to coach him and and make him better? Well, that teammate then became a captain of a team in college. And there comes responsibility. And then that captain has become a coach and for a variety of teams, which comes overall responsibility. Regardless of our station in life and our age, all of us in the Christian family have peers and superiors and subordinates. And sometimes it's merely situational. Who's setting the good example in a particular situation? 
all of us need to be able to correct and even chastise when needed. And we all need to be able to be corrected and not merely have a bruised ego because someone was abrupt with me. There's great examples of willingness to be corrected. Perhaps the greatest is David in the Old Testament. Walking up the hill outside Jerusalem, is it? And a man spitting and cursing and throwing rocks at him. And David's soldiers were ready to lop off that man's head. And David held them back and said, How do you know that he's not speaking on behalf of God? Leave him alone. The last aspect of fraternal correction for the Christian church in the New Testament has to do not just with correcting each other, but correcting our fathers as well. Paternal correction. St. Paul in his letter to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers. He also speaks about what, what to do when, when priests are accused of doing bad things. 1 Timothy 5.19 Do not accept an accusation against a presbyter unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. And then, verse 20, reprimand him publicly so that the rest will be afraid. Most famously is Paul correcting St. Peter later on in his letter to the Galatians speaking of it. How Peter wasn't teaching falsehood, but he was giving bad example. And so even our chief shepherd has the humility to remain chief shepherd by willing to be corrected. By willing to be taught by Christ. And by willing to be taught and corrected by everyone who seems to be speaking on behalf of Christ. And so we pray then for wisdom, for wisdom and courage, to know when and how. Thinking of shouting at the television, if we have the reputation for getting angry just because we're inconvenienced, or just because something does something that disappoints us, a good measure of that is how do you navigate Old Dominion Drive when traffic is bad? Well, then, when you try to correct someone, it'll fall on deaf ears because people will already think that, well, that person just gets angry about everything. And I just happen to be the current, you know, the current victim. But if we grow in patience, if people know that we, we won't get angry merely because something has gone less perfectly than we would have wanted... But when something really as important is at stake, namely someone's salvation, it's worth getting angry. Sometimes our, our, our relative silence speaks volumes. St. Maximilian Kolbe didn't have to shout at the Nazi prison guards for the injustice of ten men who were about to be executed. It was obvious. that it was an injustice. I'm pretty sure, however, that St. Maria Goretti wasn't trying to, to speak in a, in a gentle voice when she was being attacked. 
No, she shouted. And she warned the, the, the would-be assailant, who eventually showed up at her canonization mass, that if he does this, he's going to go to hell. Don't do it. And so for Christian martyrs of the 21st century, we then have to have the same, the same measure. What gets me angry? My being hurt or someone losing salvation? And so we pray the Lord to give us a willingness to suffer and a willingness to die, but never a willingness to let someone go to hell without our trying to prevent it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.